If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to find 1 Peter chapter 5. I know that you're probably super nervous thinking it's 10 minutes till 7 and he's just getting started. No, don't worry. We'll be out of here by 9 o'clock. You'll be able to catch the second half of the Sunday night football game. Knowing what you know now, if you could go back to February of this year and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself to do? I, I, invest in what? Yeah, invest in mass companies, yes. What else? What would you tell yourself if you go back to February of this year? Skip 2020. <laughs> Somebody else said it? Take a vacation, exactly. What else? I know that I kind of uh, sprung it on you guys, so you haven't had time to think about it, but say it again. <laughs> exactly. There's plenty of groceries. Stop binge buying everything. And what's the deal with the toilet paper? Like, everybody relax here, okay? If I could tell myself, I mean, there's a lot of things I would tell myself. One of them is stop eating, okay? That's one. Can I get anybody else with me? I mean, seriously, just sit around like COVID. I'm, I'm, you know, just, just, just so sad. Just so terribly, terribly sad. I mean, aren't there moments in your life that you wish you could go back and do that? You know, like, man, if I could go back seven months, I would tell myself, look, man, this thing is coming everything, you know, and you would, you'd prep yourself for it, but, but life isn't like that, is it? We, we don't always know what's coming. We've been studying through the book of First Peter as a church, and, and we're kind of bringing it to kind of a close tonight, except next Sunday morning we're going to do something a little special with it, but in the final chapter of his letter, if you got to watch the stream this morning, if you didn't and you were a heathen um, and slept in, I'm just kidding, I'm picking, uh, we studied the first four verses this morning of chapter 5, which was really instruction to elders and pastors of churches. And it's very personal for me, and, and the Lord really spoke to me about that, that my job is to shepherd the flock. And during this season, it's been very difficult. And man, if I could go back and tell myself something in February that I know now, I would have shepherded a lot differently uh, through the pandemic. But uh, my job is to feed the church, and I hope that that's what we do tonight, that we'll study the Word of God just for a little time tonight, and it will feed your soul and encourage you to follow Christ. And so I want to actually begin tonight in verse 4 of chapter 5, and this is a word to pastors, but Peter reminds the pastors, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's a promise to pastors that at the end of our lives, if we have faithfully served God as he described in those verses, which we won't read for the sake of time tonight, that there will be a reward at the end of that, and that reward, unlike our earthly tro trophies, will not fade away. It will endure for eternity. But then in verses 5 through 11, Peter then has a message for the church. So he talks to pastors in the first four verses, and tonight... I hope that you'll hear the message of the Lord for his church. And I want to point out something that I said this morning, but I want you to understand when I say this to you tonight as uh, saying this is God's message for the church, even though I'm a pastor, I am a part, a member of Village Park Church. So this is a message for me as well, but it has something to say to all of us, I think, tonight. After giving these instructions in verses 5 through 11 of the church, we find another promise. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So he talks to elders and says at the end of this, there will be a reward. And then he speaks to the church and he says, and at the end of this, there will be an eternal award or reward for you. That God will strengthen you and establish you and confirm you and restore you. So Peter gives instructions to elders, followed by a promise, and then gives instructions to the church, followed by another promise. But until that day that we receive that reward from God, we are here on the earth, and this life is going to have difficulty. I mean, that's just the reality. Jesus told his disciples, in the world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So how do we overcome as we look for that day? Well, Peter's going to give really three encouragements to these believers. And the first one is found in verses 5 through 7. Let's read. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here's the first instruction for the church. If you want to be an overcomer in this life and looking forward to that day when you stand before Jesus, if you want to live in victory over the difficulty and and the hopelessness of the world, he says, first of all, be humble. Say it with me. Be humble. We could use, thank you for that, it's awesome. We could use a a dose of humble pie in our country, can't we? And in our lives, some humility. In verse 5, I want to share with you that I believe a healthy church is a multi-generational church. I believe that there is a lot of wisdom in those who are older like Jesse. (laughs) I have a dear friend of mine who's named John Gross. He pastored at North Park Baptist Church and was in ministry for quite many years, over 40 years. He's 80 years old. And I try to meet John at least once a month. And the reason I meet with John is he's my mentor. And there is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and instruction in that man. And he's told me, I've asked him at times to come and speak and do things. And he says, I, I, I'm kind of out of practice and I feel like a dinosaur. And I, I think, what a tragedy. But what I've seen a lot of times in churches, and if you've been around church for any length of time, you know this, there there are generational divides that happen. And many times it's the younger generation rebelling against the leadership and authority of the older generation. And Peter says that in the church, the younger should be subject to the elders. Now, if you're one of the elders, don't, don't get too high and mighty. Because no church should be run just by old people or just by young people. It needs to be run by the Spirit of the living God. But he says specifically in verse 5 that the younger generation should submit to the elder generation to be subject to them. And that's a tough instruction if you're a part of the younger generation because of our pride and it goes against our desire to be in control. But notice the next phrase in verse 5. He writes to them, clothe yourselves, all of you, young and old, with what? Humility toward one another. My kids, sometimes, even though they're able, not my older ones, but the younger ones, will will you put my pants on? Like, no, dude, put your own pants on. 
You're old enough. You can do this on your own, right? I don't have to do that for you. Paul uses, uh, Peter uses the phrase here to clothe yourselves with humility. That's an action. That is an active verb. It's not saying let someone else clothe you with humility. He says you have to do your part to completely cover your life with humility. You must humble yourself before God. Humility is not something that's put on you. Humility is something that you have to actually and actively do. Now think about that phrase in verse 5. That if humility is our clothing, then our natural state would be the opposite. It's our pride. And Peter says you must clothe yourselves with humility. And not just the older people or the younger people. He says all of you. Every child of God is to be clothed with humility. In Discipleship Journal, there was a survey of Christians recently And they were asked to rank their three greatest spiritual challenges. Number one was materialism. Number two was pride. And number three was self-centeredness. When they asked Christians, what are your greatest spiritual challenges? The love of money and the love of self. And so I think that this instruction for us is so timely That we are to humble ourselves and clothe ourselves with humility. To knock ourselves off of our own pedestal. To humble ourselves before God. And notice what he says that we're clothed with humility, all of us, toward one another. For the sake of other people. I said this morning as a pastor that sometimes, and really all the time, you have to say that it's not about you. So when Robert picked that song, and, and, and uh, he likes that song, and the worship team likes to, read, uh, to sing that song and to lead it, it's not about the church singing every song that Robbie wants to sing. If that's what honors the Lord, then we sing the song. And if it talks about life and resurrection, then we, we sing it, even if it may not be my preference, because I'm here to serve them. We are here to be clothed with humility toward one another for the good of our brother and sister in Christ. The second instruction is found in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The first instruction was to be humble. The second one is to be watchful. In our, nightly, in our nightly routine at our house, once the kids are down, as I'll go around the house and make sure all the doors are locked and the, the windows are closed. And I've shared before that when we come home from somewhere, if I notice that the front door was unlocked while we were gone, I have to check every closet and every shower in my house. Anybody else with me on that? Jonathan walked around with samurai swords. It's amazing. Right? I mean, you just have to check it because you don't know. Somebody could have come in your house and they're waiting to kill you, Right? So I do everything I can at night. I lock all the doors, lock all the windows, set the alarm so that I can feel safe inside. I I do everything that I can reasonably to protect my family. Let me ask you this. What are you doing to protect yourself and your family from the relentless attacks of Satan? I mean, we, we don't go to sleep without our doors locked. We don't go to sleep without a gun near our bed. We don't go to sleep without the alarm set. And yet, it doesn't say that a thief is coming about. It says that Satan, our enemy, 
is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I, I saw a terrifying video this week, or a few weeks ago. There was a guy that was hiking along a trail and he pulled out his phone and a mountain lion was stalking him. Can you even imagine? I can't. I would have just laid there and like put salt and pepper on me and just said, it's over. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to outrun this dude. I see him and he, you know, he's getting away from him. It's amazing. And, and I remember going on a hike in Yosemite uh, with my brother-in-law and his brother. And, and we walked down to Mirror Lake, which is right at the base of Half Dome there. And it's a beautiful place. Uh, but there's a sign as you're walking down the road. It says, mountain lions, keep your children close. And I'm like, then why are we here? That, this is the dumbest thing. Like, if you, if you went down to the zoo to the lion display and they opened the door and said, hey, you want to come in there? We've seen some lions in here. He said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And all I kept thinking of the whole time when we're walking to Mirror Lake and everybody talked about how beautiful it was, I'm like, it ain't going to be beautiful with blood in the water. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we get attacked out here, it's, you know, I hope you don't take a picture of that thing eating me. And all I kept thinking was my head was on a swivel. I was looking everywhere and I, I tried to keep my friends where I was a little bit kind of beside them, but a little behind them so that if necessary, I could reach my leg out, trip them, push them down, and then run. Because that's what, yeah, you got to be strategizing. If they're down, the lion hopefully will go for them. Just kidding. Kind of. But a mountain lion's not going to send word to you that they're there, right? They, they, they sneak up on you and they are stealthy. And Satan is not going to tell you that the movie you're watching, you shouldn't watch. He's not going to tell you that that favorite music artist that you like is leading you further and further away in your mind from God. Satan's not going to say that that toxic relationship that you're in as a Christian with someone who's not following Christ, he's not going to say, hey, you should break that relationship off. Satan's attacks in your life are relentless. Notice what he, how he describes him in verse 8. That he's a roaring lion and he's prowling about. He is going about right now in this moment, in 2020, on this night, for the destruction of your soul. And so he says you have to be watchful. You've got to be sober. You can't be asleep at the wheel. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whose marriage he can devour. Seeking whose faith he can devour. Seeking whose family he can devour. Seeking whose purity he can devour. Seeking whose marriage he can devour. Seeking whose life he can devour. I shared with you earlier that I believe that if I ask you the question, what's the greatest threat to democracy, depending on where you line up politically, you would have an answer for that. But what is the greatest threat to the gospel? It's apathy in our lives. It's, it's Christians not recognizing that our enemy is out for our destruction. And yet Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. And, and look at verse 9. Part of being watchful is resisting Satan, resisting his attempts to cause us to stumble. Resist him firm in your faith. That's the key to standing and being watchful is being firm in what you believe about Jesus. And I take great comfort in verse 9, what Peter said to these believers, when you're suffering, know that you are not alone and that you're not the only one. 
that there are people around the world who have suffered in the same way that you have. So be humble and be watchful. And then in verse 10, he says to be hopeful. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter ends this book with the resounding message of hope for us. Notice what he says there in verse 10, that hope is found because God has called you into his salvation. That it is God who has saved your life. And I'm telling you that if you are without Christ tonight, then you are without true, lasting, living hope. If your faith is in your religion and in your goodness and in doing the right things, I'm telling you that what you need to realize is that God has called all of us as sinners to follow after him and he gave a way for us to be right with him through Jesus Christ. And Peter says that is our hope, that God has called us to his salvation and that he's a God of all grace. But he reminds them in verse 10 that there's hope because the suffering of this life is temporary. Just a moment. And at the end of this is there is eternal glory and hope. At the end of all of this, God is going to do four things for you that we find in this verse. He says, first of all, he will restore you. We took our kids, one for an overnight trip recently to just get away we took them to Great Wolf Lodge up in Grapevine, and it's an indoor water park and really cool place. And at the end of it, I let the kids get a, get a souvenir, and Ellie picked a wolf, a little plush doll or whatever. And after we bought it, we got outside, and she realized, or excuse me, while we were in the store, she realized that the foot of the wolf was torn. It was, it was broken. And so I asked the clerk, I said, hey, it was the last one, and, you know, once the kid has their heart set on it, you can't say, hey, put it down and pick another one. I mean, that wolf was coming home with us if the arm was ripped off. You know what I'm saying? And I said, hey, can we do something about it? Or do you have one in the back? He said, no, this is it. And so we took it down to the Build-A-Bear workshop that they have there. And the guy took out needle and thread, and he sewed up that wolf leg and did a terrible job. But, but he sewed it up. You can see it all. It's crazy. But he fixed that. That word that you see there in verse 10, the word restore, it means to mend or to fix as a net, like fishermen would do. To repair what is broken. And at the end of this suffering, the promise is, God will repair what is broken in our lives. He says also, he'll confirm you. Do you see it there? That word, it means to fix firmly or to set fast, as you might set a pole in the ground and, and put concrete around it and let that concrete set. It, it speaks of firmness. Then he says to be, you'll be strengthened. That means to be empowered and then established. It means to lay a foundation. At the end of our suffering, the hope is the fact that God is going to right all the wrongs. He's going to right all the injustices in our lives and in our world. And so we are to be watchful. We are to be hopeful. And we are to be humble as we journey in this life. And look at verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And God's people said, 
Amen. So if you could go back to February of this year and tell yourself something about this season of your life, what would you say? Peter knew what these Christians were going to be facing. They were going to be facing tremendous persecution, and that happened historically. Widespread state persecution where they were living because of the cause of Christ. And Peter tells them, knowing what's coming, three things. Stay humble, be watchful, and be hopeful. I pray that going forward, that would be us as well. That we would stay humble before God. And that we as a church would be watchful. Watching for the attacks of the enemy, not only only in our lives, but in the lives of people around them. And then share with them the hope that's found in Christ. And keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Will you pray with me? And our worship team is going to come and lead us in, in one more song tonight before we close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love. Help us to be humble and to be sober and to be watchful. But help us to be hopeful as well. It's been a difficult and challenging season for us, but we know that you are good. And we know that you know all things and that you see all things and that you have us right in the palm of your hand. And we thank you for that, Lord. So we pray tonight that your word would would fall upon our hearts and find good soil. That you would conform us into the image of Jesus, our Savior. That you would make us what you've called us to be. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.